welcome back. I am so excited because spring is here and it is airy season, which is my season. So it is my time to shine. My birthday is April 7th. So by the time that you hear this, my birthday will have passed. But I always accept gifts no matter the time of the year, especially if they are your Patreon membership. Hint, hint. Also, my memoir is coming out in August and I have like about four more months left in order to kind of regain some stamina and endurance. And so I have been following along to these YouTube yoga flexibility videos just to kind of like build up some endurance so that if it gets to a point when my book comes out that we're traveling again and I have to like bring all this stuff and lug all this stuff with me, I am not just like sweating when I walk a block like I'm doing right now. But, you know, I try at least once a year to get into yoga and it's just really fucking boring to me. And I don't know if it's just because I am just using these YouTube videos and I'm not actually going to a class, but it doesn't seem to work for me. However, I have been following along with this 15-minute daily full-body stretch routine, and I love it. It has really been opening up these hips, okay? And, you know, in our first episode, I talked about the cowgirl workshops with Tayomi and how I want to ruin somebody's life once I start dating again after the pandemic. I am trying to just, like, take over somebody's life, which brings us to today's episode, okay? My high school was in downtown Nashville, and it used to be next to a strip joint called Classic Cat. Now, Classic Cat was open for about 30 years from 1977 to 1997. It shut down a couple of years after I graduated. And I transferred to this school my sophomore year. And every day from sophomore year until graduation, I had at least one class every day where I would look out and be looking at the Classic Cat sign. Like I would see the strip joint every day of my high school life. And, you know, people have been up in arms about a video where this gay man slides down a CGI pole into hell. But Monday through Friday, every morning, I got off the bus in front of a strip joint, or excuse me, a gentleman's club, in order to go to school. Now, physically, I was, you know, a little bit of a late bloomer, at least it felt that way, you know. And I had a boyfriend at the time when I was in high school from like 15 and a half, because, you know, those half years were very important back then until 18. And, you know, he always said he loved my body, but that's what he was supposed to say, right? I'd be sitting in AP English and social studies, our homeroom, whatever the fuck. And I would just look out at this hot pink building because it was a very, very, very bright pink. And it's muted neon sign. And I would think if I got a job dancing at Classic Cat, I would have proof that I'm hot. But then I started worrying that my classmates would find out because senior year we were allowed to leave campus in order to go get lunch or whatever. And let's just say that, you know, people went to Classic Cat for lunch sometimes. Sex work was still very much stigmatized at the time, and I didn't want to become fodder for an after-school special. Obviously, I was worried about what my mom would do if she found out that I was stripping. But also, I worried that Classic Cat would reject me. I had no training. I didn't know how to move my body in a particular way. The only dance that I was doing at the time was the Humpty Dance, and I don't know that, you know, my G-string would get full from doing the Humpty Dance. 
But fast forward until now. And I think sometimes I should have at least just gone over there and tried. Sometimes I'm watching those competitive pole dancing exercises and I'm just like, this is amazing. The sensuality, the movement that these people are doing. And yes, the athleticism is incredible. And I just, I don't know. Sometimes I still fantasize about the idea of 16-year-old me on the pole, you know, shaking my groove thing to the Humpty Dance maybe. Now, pole dancing is no longer this red light secret. It's viral on social media. Some people put out pole dancing videos every Friday or to celebrate that it's Friday. You see it in mainstream movies all the time. There are suburban mom exercise classes that feature pole dancing. It is everywhere. It's not just in a strip club or a gentleman's club. I wanted to learn more about pole dancing. I wanted to learn all about the ways that being a pole dancer can make you feel good. So I reached out to Queerly Femtastic, a dancer who does cosplay, she crochets, and she gets low on the pole. This episode is sponsored by Skillshare. Explore new skills, deepen existing passions, and get lost in creativity with classes from Skillshare. There are so many fascinating classes on Skillshare on topics that include animation, storytelling, science fiction, fantasy, and more. I recently took a course on screenwriting, which was fantastic. I'm learning all about how to write screenplays. And I also really like writing for expression, how to make your words more artful and lyrical with Hanif Abdurraqib. Skillshare offers classes designed for real life so you can move your creative journey forward without putting life on hold. Their short classes are a perfect fit for your busy schedule. You can create real projects and get the support of fellow creatives so you can achieve real growth. Explore your creativity at Skillshare.com slash this is good, where our listeners get two free months of premium membership. That's two free months at Skillshare.com slash This Is Good. Hello, I am Queerly Femtastic. I was given a tagline, so I'm going to use it. It's Brooklyn Bread Bombshell. I am a burlesque and pole dancer. As my tagline suggests, I was born and raised in Brooklyn. And yeah, that's me. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me, how did you get involved in dance? What was it about dance that drew you to it? So yeah, my parents put me in dance class very young. They were like, you got to do something on a Saturday. So (laughs) dance (laughs) class is where I went. I really started in ballet and African and shifted over to more like musical theater once I got into middle school and high school. So I was I was one of those theater kids (laughs) doing all the ridiculous dance moves on the train platform and also singing. I continued to study like theater and voice in college. And then I came back home to New York and kind of just like stopped dancing for a while. I kept singing, but I stopped dancing just because there weren't really places for it that felt good. And then in, I want to say 2016, someone invited me to a queer pole dance class at a studio called Incredible. And I was like, ah, that sounds like 
all the things that I like. (laughs) (laughs) Queer people, pole dancing. I had never done it before, but it like seemed cool. So I went and I immediately was like, wow, this is great. And now I'm going to spend all my money (laughs) on this thing. (laughs) And so now here we are. (laughs) Performance has been a part of your life for a long time. So is that also a part of what drew you to pole dancing? Because there is obviously a strong performative element to it. Yes. I absolutely think that for both pole and burlesque, I think that I, part of the reason that I keep doing it is because I deeply enjoy performing. Like I enjoy putting on a show, a really great dancer who I really admire. Her name is Gigi Holiday, And she talks about like doing a performance, specifically doing anything like slow burn as a long con. Mm. So you like Your mark is the audience, right? They've consented to go on this journey with you and you get to take them wherever you want to go as the performer, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that to me has always been super exciting and super like enticing and pull allows me to do that in a very different way than singing does. Mm. And you mentioned that when you came back to New York after college, you weren't really finding places where you felt good dancing, but pole dancing is someplace where you felt good. Can you talk about the differences between those you know, uncomfortable places and what keeps you going back to pole dancing? Yeah, I think that I came back to New York and I would go to like musical theater dance classes. I was one of those people who auditioned for Glee and Hamilton and all the things. (laughs) And so oftentimes those spaces were A, very just white and B, they were performative even in a learning space, right? And I think there's a time to perform, right? There's a time to like, put on a persona and like do this thing with the audience. And there's a time to like learn, right? And learning is messy. It requires stretching. It means that you're going to make mistakes. And I think that so many dance spaces that I went to, there was no space for mistakes. There was no space for messing up. You had to be good immediately. And I think in pole, like pole will humble you. Like it's a steal apparatus screwed into the ceiling and the floor and it doesn't care <laughs> that it, it doesn't care that you're going to get a weird bruise on your in the inside of your elbow and people are going to be like how did you get this bruise on what how what were you even doing and I'm like uh don't worry about it <laughs> um and so the difference in the pole space was that literally everybody was in there messing up like you spent the whole class being like, damn, this is hard. <laughs> and like, eventually you get it. But it's it's assumed that like, you're not going to get it on the first try, right? And you have the space to ask questions and find modifications, or at least in spaces where I have felt good about learning, that is the case, right? And that is what differentiates for me a positive learning space in pole. And even now that I'm taking like heels classes and things like that, or like chair classes, is there space to mess up? Is there space to ask questions? Is there space to be like, um, I have long legs and a stubby torso. (laughs) How do I, how do I do this? Or like, I have a low back injury and a trick knee. How can I still access this movement or this shape? And so that to me is what makes a good pole learning space. Mm. I have not taken a pole dancing class yet. And strangely enough, my mom wants to take one um, with me and my my sister. I'm your mom's biggest fan. (laughs) Please tell her. (laughs) 
And I was just like, I'm not ready to see my mom on a pole right now. Like, I can't, like, you know, it's not a problem, but also, no. Um, (laughs) But can you talk about the community? Because you talk about there's room for you to make mistakes, but can you talk about who else is in the class with you? Yeah, so it took me a long time to articulate what I was looking for in a pole community. So I started taking classes at Incredipole and then went on to take classes at any pole studio I could find in New York. And then when I like felt better about my pole skills, anytime I traveled anywhere I've gone, if I could find a pole studio, I'm going. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, you know, it's been really great to have resources like Black Girls Pole to like find Black owned studios when I travel as well. But I think I am looking for, in terms of community, the freedom to mess up, right? The freedom to say, this doesn't work for me, or the freedom to say, like, actually, this is a a thing that I want to do more. How can I get more of this? And I think there are some really great studio spaces that really encourage you to diversify your interests, right? Like some people are like, I tend to like stay on the floor. Like I'm, I'm not an aerial pole person. You will catch me going up the pole maybe five feet. But like, I'm not one of those people who's like 16 feet in the air giving you an aerial show, right? That's not my thing. And I think that the communities where I have felt best are places where folks are like, okay, if your thing is low flow and floor work and like base work, then here are the classes and instructors that will allow you to hone those skills, right? And there's no pressure or this feeling of being forced to quote unquote level up, Mm -hmm. right? Or move into something that maybe doesn't feel as good in my body, right? And I think there, there are definitely pole spaces where, you know, if you can't do certain types of tricks, you can't take certain classes. Mm. And in some cases, like, that's cool. Like, it's a safety thing. But in some cases, it, it is a form of gatekeeping, right? And so I almost quit pole dancing about a year and a half into it because I was going to level one classes. And, you know, essentially folks were like, if you want to go into level two, if you want to move into intermediate, you need to be able to do these tricks. And I was like, oh, I'll do that. Mm. And it doesn't feel good to me, mm-hmm. right? Like spin pole is terrifying. I don't go high up on the pole because it's scary. I can climb all the way up there, but like, why? My body doesn't move well when I am scared. Mm. And so I had to try and find pole community. And by community, I literally mean other people, other instructors and studios who were fine with like me saying, here's what I'm interested in and like to do. And them saying, cool, here is what we can offer you that fits inside of those categories. Mm. That clears something else up for me because another reason that I'm like freaking out about being in a pole class with my mom is because (laughs) she has had surgery for carpal tunnel on her wrists and she frequently has issues. So I'm scared that she will hurt herself. But you're saying that there are ways that that can be modified and, you know, someone who who has that bum knee or that trick wrist or whatever can still participate. To me, that's the mark of a good instructor. Once upon a time, I was a teacher Mm -hmm. in New York City public schools. And To me, as an educator, your job is to make sure that every single person who walks into the space has access to the skills that you are trying to teach them. And so a good pole instructor will ask for injuries, right, at the top of the class and say, like, 
if you have an injury, let me know so I know to modify and to come and talk to you, person with the injury, so that you can best continue to access the skill and you don't feel like, oh, well, that's just not, I can't do that, right? Like you paid your money, right? You showed up with the intent and energy to learn and you deserve to have access to that if that's the thing you want. And so, yeah, a mark of a a good instructor in a good studio is folks who are deeply engaged in learning about how to make space and modify for all different kinds of bodies and accessibility. Mm. So I have this misconception that pole dancing is the aerial tricks, like going all the way up to the pole. Walking on the ceiling. Yeah, (laughs) making it clap and then, you know, doing the drop. What are some misconceptions that you had going into pole Mm. dancing that cleared up for you? Um, That it was all upper body strength. I was a rower. I was a rowing coach. So I like spent many years working on my back and my shoulders and my lats. And like those things are super important. However, actually most of what you need for pole is core strength, right? You need to know what's happening in your pelvic floor, right? And your abs and your obliques and your hips, right? You need a lot of kinesthetic awareness in the center of your body because that is what provides support for all of those other things. You can't go upside down or do a handstand or climb the pole if you don't have those middle muscles really strong to stabilize you. I also thought that like pole was only good, quote unquote good, if you were in heels. Mm. Now, I have a sizable heel collection at this point. (laughs) (laughs) I do. I love a shoe. But the ways and places where I have felt like the most embodied and the most connected to my movement is actually when I'm barefoot, right? And in socks. Because I started out in ballet and modern, like that's how I know where my contact points are and how to push off the floor and things like that. And I think the last one was about spin versus static. Mm. Now me can tell the difference when someone is dancing if the pole is on spin or on static, right? I personally think spin pole is a lot harder. (laughs) All pole dancing is physics. You are doing two different types of physics when you're engaging in like spin versus static, right? So spin pole, you're really trying to control the speed. The closer you get to the pole, the faster you go. The further you are from the pole, the slower you go. With static pole, it's all about the momentum you generate with your own body, right? So that goes back to those core muscles. You get up and you can climb up to the top of the pole and drop, but like that is literally momentum you generated from climbing up. And you only have that from like your own body. The pole doesn't help you at all if you're not on spin. So some people actually think static pole is harder because everything you do is generated by you. And I had no idea that there was a distinction between the two (laughs) before I walked into my first pole class. You've talked about doing stuff in class that makes you feel good. What is it about pole dancing that just feels right to you? I think for me, part of it is, and this goes back to like static versus spin, like part of it is like anything I do in pole is generated by my body, right? It is like me creating the shape, me creating the momentum and the movement, right? And like, I get to decide what that looks like for me. 
I also think that, yeah, it is, it has increased my kinesthetic awareness, right? Increased my ability to say like, huh, how do my hips feel today, right? Do they feel different than they did yesterday? What's going on in my chest or my back, right? And like that for me, I know has been super helpful as I've been working through my own like healing journey around saying like, oh, when I am feeling frustrated, my shoulders get really tight, right? And I can't access certain tricks or movements or shapes. Or when I'm sad, like my lower back gets um, locked up. But also when those things happen and I'm like, uh, I need to feel better. I know like all I have to do is give myself a smooth three minutes work song and I'm good. (laughs) Like I will come back to my whole self (laughs) and be like, well, Everything's better. Come on, pelvic floor. Thank you for activating and reminding me that I am actually a bad bitch. And I think (laughs) that piece, that piece of like connecting to your body and feeling the ways that you are able to create shape and create movement and, and emote with your whole self, even if it's not actually the feeling you're feeling, right? Like sometimes I have to perform and I'm not feeling super sensual or super sexy, but like I can drop myself into connection with my body and say like, what's the word that I want to go for today? And maybe it's not sexy. Maybe it's just luxurious. Maybe it's warm. Maybe it's like lush. As long as I'm able to connect with the feeling that I'm going for, like people interpret it as sexy because they're like, wow, she's so embodied. And I'm like, yeah, I'm really just thinking about when I get home, I'm gonna get under this weighted blanket (laughs) And it's going to feel so luxurious. And you don't even know. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Because, you know, I think that we have this idea of pole dancing. Because for so long, that's how it was presented to us. As something for cishet men only. Like, the performance is just to arouse men in a very heterosexual view kind of way. But as we've kind of stepped away from that, it also just looks fucking fun, you know? Like It's it just, hella fun. <laughs> <laughs> because it's not just, you know, obviously there, you can dance to sensual music and stuff like that, but I have seen so many people who are putting on, like, some drum and bass and just, like, working the pole, like, just a regular dance floor kind of thing. Can you talk about just, like, the fun element <laughs> of pole dancing? To me, dance has always been fun, and... You talked a little bit about like this perception of pole as connected to the like cis male gaze. And, you know, it's hard because on the one hand, there are people who are saying like, I want to disconnect pole from sexy and sensual and I want it to be athletic and about like skills. And I'm like, that's cool. When you do that, don't erase the fact that part of the reason why pole still exists and is deeply connected to this country is because of black and brown sex workers who engage in poll for the male gaze because it's a way of accessing financial stability. So that's like a thing, right? But it doesn't have to be the only thing, right? And I think that is what you're getting at around the fun, right? Yes, sometimes I'm giving you my whole booty butt cheeks. (laughs) And that's how I make my money, Right. But sometimes I'm in a pole studio with all my friends and we are dancing to a ridiculous song and laughing with each other and like enjoying the fact that like we are here and feel good. Right. Or 
we're dancing to a sad song and we're like, okay, girl, I guess we all came here to cry harder because <laughs> like that's, that's where we're at right now. I think the range of emotion, the range of ways that folks are able to connect with this particular kind of movement is actually what's very important. And it, it's a thing that I really hope more people like stop to understand as we're talking about like the way that white cisgender middle-class women are trying to erase the connection between what they call like pole dancing and stripping, right? Like Mm. you can't disentangle those things. And I know people want to for respectability stuff, but that's not possible. You just got to accept that. And you get to choose your own adventure, right? And I think that's the thing that folks keep resisting, right? You can choose like, I'm going to engage in the sensual and sexual aspects of pole, or I'm just going to do tricks and I'm going to learn all my Aishas and butterflies and jades and all kinds of inverts and grips and things like that. And that's, I'm only going to do tricks, right? I'm never going to engage in the sensual aspects of pole. And both of those things are fine. The issue comes up when one set of folks tries to erase the experience and needs and desires of the other set of folks. Mm, Yes. You also cosplay. I do. (laughs) Do you combine the two? All the time. (laughs) (laughs) It's called, somebody gave this word to me and I was like, oh my God, that's brilliant. It's called nerdlesque. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. It's so fun. Like the first poll performances I ever did, the first performance I was Ariel in the first half. And in the second half, I was Ursula because I was like, I need to put on a whole different persona to get on a poll in front of people because I was like super nervous about it. And I knew that was a thing that I knew how to do. I knew how to dress up. I knew how to like be a character. Right. And like, I think that has been super fun for me to feel out and identify new ways to combine cosplay, which I really love, with pole and burlesque, which, you know, there are some similar aspects around performance, right? And putting on this character and becoming this other person. Mm -hmm. And those things are still really fun, right? And so I, I truly do enjoy combining, like, costuming for pole with, like, cosplay stuff and seeing if people get it also because that's always a fun thing people are like wait are you snow white and i'm like yeah (laughs) (laughs) but i'm about to be maleficent so you it's about to be a whole switch you're gonna you're not even gonna know what happened i love that so much how has pole dancing shaped the rest of your life outside of the studio well, now I have a pole in my house. <laughs> so, <'cause, laughs> ain't no studios no more. I mean, they're there, but I'm not going outside. Um, <laughs> so that there, I had spent a large amount of money installing a pole in my home and another large amount of money on all my shoes and outfits and things like that. So pole is definitely a line item in the budget, <laughs> but also is a source of income, right? So I do dance at a couple of like virtual clubs and I do burlesque shows and things like that. So like I had to put some money out, but also it brings money in. Also, like I said, when I travel, I tend to try and find a pole studio and it has definitely allowed me to meet some super interesting people all over the world, actually. And that has been so fun and so 
a really important like way of engaging with new places that I would not have thought about (laughs) beyond five years ago. And I think the other thing is also made me spend a lot more time thinking about the ways that Black sex workers are uniquely unprotected in our society. Mm -hmm. So I would not qualify myself as a sex worker because, you know, I do burlesque and I, I dance like at my house in studios, but like I am not someone who dances at a club or like my sort of main source of income is not pole. But I know that often people make the assumption like, oh, you dance pole, you're a stripper, right? And I have seen what happens when someone makes that assumption about me, the way that they treat me. A big thing when I, w- when I was still a teacher was making sure that my students and their parents and my administrators and like no one ever found out that I was a pole dancer and that I performed because I would lose my job. And there are so many, many, many instances of folks getting identified, right, and losing opportunities and not having access to to the things that they need to survive and thrive. And so I have spent a lot of time with folks who are sex workers thinking about what are the ways that, you know, if we are all out here organizing and calling for abolition and creating community and thinking about new ways of being, we can't leave behind the most vulnerable in our community. And oftentimes those folks are Black sex workers, be they Black trans women or Black cis women who are engaging in sex work for survival. And I think that lens has widened the way that I think about my own organizing work and the way that I think about like what who needs to be held and protected as we move into whatever strange new world we're moving into. Mm. When you talked about community, you kind of touched on it. Like there is this huge gap in how pole dancing is perceived. It's either sex workers or a bunch of suburban white moms getting their groove back. And it's so much more than that, right? It's so, I mean, there are so many more people involved in pole dancing than what seem to be the most accepted ideas of who should be on the pole, yeah, and there's some of it is about hypervisibility, right? So like the white suburban moms, like they get Netflix documentaries, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And then strippers are glorified in music videos and and things like that. And so this sort of middle ground of people who are engaging in poll for lots of different reasons are not as visible. So that contributes to it. And I think the loudest voices particularly voices of of critique, are those white, cisgendered, suburban, middle-class women who are like, "Uh, this is just for this thing. And I don't want to deal with those people over there. I don't want to be associated with those kinds of people. Right. And I think that attitude and that way of engaging with Poe is really toxic. My existence does not erase yours, right? Like my existence as a person who does deeply enjoy the sensual and sexual aspects of pole, right? And does like to wear heels and does like to like pop my booty on a handstand. Like that doesn't erase your wanting to engage in this movement form as a form of fitness, right? But if you attempt to erase me, right? That's when 
there's a problem. Mm, right. So if I wanted to peel myself off the couch that I have been living <laughs> on for a year <laughs> and I have noodle arms and noodle legs and the torso is also a potato. Can I find a pole dancing class that will work for me? Yeah, you absolutely can. So I would say for anyone who's looking for pole classes, I would always say, especially for Black women, I would check out Black Girls Pole. They have a list of Black-owned studios across the world at this point. And you want to go in and you're looking for intro to pole, right? Not beginner, intro. Literally, a person is going to teach you, here is how you touch the pole. Here's how you go from static to spin. Here is how you walk around the pole, right? Here is how you stretch to keep yourself safe. And here are some things you can do to get stronger. I tell people all the time, like I have been pole dancing for literally years and I I have pole instructors who still break my brain because I'll be like, wait a minute, hold up. You want me to grab and lift and turn at the same time? Okay. And also we all spin pole? Hold up. <laughs> and so like it is a continual learning process. You will literally always be learning. But I always say like, If you want to get into it, you go to an intro class, wear a tank top and shorts. You need skin. Don't put on any lotion. I know Black women everywhere are like, what do you mean don't put on any lotion? (laughs) Don't put on any lotion before you go to pole. You will fall and bust your ass. Oh, I'm my God. You. I don't know if I can leave the house without lotion. But I, I know I, it's, I a it's a struggle. It's a struggle. It's a struggle. That's why I'm like, oh, I got this pole in my house. Nobody ever needs to see me ashy. But it, it actually is a safety thing. Uh, okay. The oil on your skin. Your skin is your safety mechanism when you are managing pole, right? It controls your speed. It controls how high up you go. It keeps you from literally falling off. <laughs> um so you gotta you gotta just accept that your skin is gonna be a little dry when you go to the pole class, and that's okay. And you could put some lotion on after. <laughs> Thank you so much, <laughs> Queerly Fantastic. You have been amazing. Of course. Thank you. Where can people find you? Oh, I live on the internet. If you're looking for my Instagram, you can find me at poleblurred. That's P-O-L-E-B-L-E-R-D, because that's what I am, a pole blurred. I dance at a couple different spaces. Uh, the first one is called Virtual Haven. The second one is called Sanctuary. And the third is called Strap House. You can look those all up on Instagram as well. And if you want to hear me talk more about stuff, including poll, um, you can check out my podcast. It's called Cheers and Queers. And you can find us on Instagram and on Twitter at cheers, the letter N, queers. And those are those are all the things. Excellent. Thank you so much. This has been fantastic. I I might actually. Listen, you better take your mama to a pole class. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not ready. I'm not ready. <laughs> And now it's time for the indulgences, the small things you can enjoy without guilt. You know, maybe they'll save you from a purgatory of inertia and boredom. Who knows? 
Now, my mother will tell you that I collect books because I love reading, and maybe that is true. But the truth is, I collect playing cards. I do not know why. I do not play cards. Don't ask me to sit at the space table. It's not going to happen. But every vacation, instead of, you know, shot glasses or refrigerator magnets, I buy a deck of cards, you know, from the hotel lobby or whatever, indicating what city I've been in. I love unusual and fancy, pretty decks of cards. So I go to this site called artofplay.com where you can buy cards and magic tricks and little oddities and puzzles and things like that. So when I'm stuck on a writing project, I can't figure out where to go on something. I usually play solitaire with one of these very pretty, very unusual decks of cards. When I'm playing solitaire and I'm looking at these very pretty cards or I'm looking at these unusual designs, I just kind of step away from the problem that I'm figuring out. It's not there anymore. The problem is getting these suits in order. It's also a way for me to use my hands and get away from typing or if I'm writing by hand and I'm still able to kind of like stretch my fingers a little bit and give them a break while still keeping myself active. That's what I really appreciate. And I like the feel of the cards too. Like some of them have a particular weight to them when they're done on different types of paper. It helps loosen up my brain and like I am no longer thinking of this very difficult problem that I'm having with my writing, I'm now thinking about this new problem, which is a simple problem, right? But by the time that I feel pretty good about having played so many hands of solitaire or I finished with the game, I figured out what to do with my writing. So today's indulgence is about collecting some relatively inexpensive items like a deck of cards that you can use to improve your life in some way. It's not really expensive. It's something practical that you can use so you don't feel bad about something just sitting there collecting dust because you're actually going to use it at some point. And also, if you start with a collecting hobby of something that's kind of small, it helps when you don't have a lot of space or if you move around a lot and you don't feel bad about carrying this little thing along with you. I do have one particular deck that I have bought twice because I wore one out. It's from Art of Play and it is Oh my gosh, I don't even want to admit it because it's so mushy, but it's a love deck. It's very simple with love and like a little cursive, red cursive and some hearts all over it. And it's just a really pretty thing. And I was carrying it around so much. I would carry it in my purse so I could have it with me. And I just ruined it. And I was like, oh no, I feel really bad. It's not so pretty anymore. So I bought a second deck. It's still wrapped up. I refuse to pull it out of its deck. So if you don't already have this hobby, Start collecting something small that you can use that will, you know, benefit your life in a different way other than just like, oh, here's this thing that I like and it's collecting dust. You have been absolved. This is Good For You. It's hosted by me, Nicole Perkins, and produced by Multitude. Our lead producer is Eric Silver. Our editor is Brandon Grugel. And our executive producers are Amanda McLaughlin and me. Our theme was created by Don Will. And our art is by Jessica E. Boyd. You can follow the show at This Is Good Pod. And you can follow me at Tennessee Whiskey Woman. That's T-N, whiskey with an E, woman. And a huge, huge thank you to everyone who supports the show on Patreon, especially to our supporting producer-level patrons, Chelsea, Conchetta, Courtney, and Elizabeth. To get exclusive rewards like stickers, monthly playlists curated by me, and even custom drabbles written just for you, 
Join us for as little as $5 a month at patreon.com slash thisisgoodpod. This was good for me. Was it good for you?